of the world welcome to forum borealis today i have another compatriot with me to educate us on the dire state of our world economy as i've pointed out in several shows the current depression started half a year before the pandemic but it got almost no mainstream press coverage sure It was made worse by COVID. But why in the first place did the economy tank again? Well, when players fail upward and criminals are not only protected but rewarded, the whole system is per definition criminal. As we shall learn today, this is not just because gangsters have seized control, but simply a result of the economy being rigged in the first place. Now, there are different approaches to this fact with several potential solutions. One of them is to replace fiat money with a currency-backed system, which our guest tonight is in favor of. Hans-Erik Olaf is a financier with a long background in international business who turned whistleblower and investigative economic journalist, a deed which did not go unpunished, as you will learn today. Born in Finland, grown up in Norway with a dual US-Norwegian citizenship, he went to Oslo Commercial College between 73 and 76. After military service, he studied BBS management at University of Georgia from 77 to 81 and MBA finance at University of Miami as an honor student from 82 to 83. He has participated in several sports, World Junior Championship of Golf in San Diego in 72, on a national senior level as Norwegian Golf Champion in 75, and three European Championships between 75 to 77. Between 81 and 82 he worked for the Wilhelmsen Shipping Company in chartering, sales and purchase, between 83 to 85, also in strategic planning, investment analysis, and as secretary for the board of directors. Between 85 to 86, he worked for Plateau Shipbroking and Finance. Between 86 to 89, he worked for Fernlis in project analysis, sales and building per case. And between 91 and 93, as project finance syndication, secured equity and mezzanine for Fernley Finance. He did worldwide syndication work involving major European and US banks and Japanese trading houses with project investment and market presentations to numerous companies, such as Merrill Lynch, ABN Ambro, Hambro, 
Mitsui, etc. Between 93 to 99, he worked as shipping advisor and real estate investment for himself. Between 99 and 2015, he worked for Accelera Inc. as board of director member and chairman involved in all facets of business development, operations and debt equity funding, including numerous convertible loans, was in charge of 12 investments in the Norwegian technology sector, totaling about 50 million US dollars, as well as responsible for market capitalization of 15 billion US dollars. Between 03 and 08, he also worked for Sebastian Holdings, financial asset portfolio with ships, offshore rigs and oil services with initial investments of 125 million US dollars. And between 07 and 08, prior to the financial crisis, with disinvested portfolio for about a billion US dollars. He's been on many boards of directors, most notably Protegrity, Confirmit, Accelera and Sebastian Holdings. And on Tule Drilling, which hired him as a fixer, a savior, a commission he probably since regretted because it led him into a trap. Today, he is board of director for RAND AS and Argentus AS, as well as financial reporter. His journalistic career in the financial market has been parallel to his direct work experience in this field. Consequently, he's had numerous public and private presentations and lectures on subjects such as startups, state of affairs in the world and European economies and financial markets. And of course, he's published numerous articles in Norwegian trade journal Dagens Næringsliv, in Nytid, and other newspapers on issues like fractional reserve, lending, quantitative easing, role of central banking, etc. A few examples of such articles herewith, titled Consequences of the Norwegian Oil Adventure, The Upcoming Financial Collapse, In Defense of the Greek People, Unsustainable Debt, Deutsche Bank and Dead Bank Directors, The New Fascism, The Pyramid Game of Banks and States, Behind the Panama Papers, The Bank Bluff, to name but a few. In his writings, Ula warns against our path to a dystopian future and exposes that the world's bank and finance institutions already are insolvent beyond hope and that we are at the brink of complete economic collapse. He has had several broadsides against the current system and its players, exposing banksters' dirty laundry. No wonder he has suffered miscarriage of justice through an intricate process that he reports in his book The Great Deception from 2014, which also covers the topic of Norwegian and European failed economics, plus the present state of Norwegian and world economy and financial markets, criticizing the abuse of state power against liberty, welfare and legal protection. Uh, In his newest book, Farewell Human Being, in 2020, He exposes the path from the biological to the synthetic human. Monetary power 
and the deep state's lies, fabrications and manipulations from Napoleon to Silicon Valley. And he has also accounted for his experience in a blog called The Thule Story Unplugged, as well as in his YouTube channel with videos detailing all the evidence of the collusion to bring him down. Albeit Hans Olav will share his story of their attempt to silence him at the end of this show, I will give you a summary with a survey of the case as an introduction to part two. Enjoy. Welcome to Forum Borealis, Hans. Thank you very much. So, and by the way, welcome to, <laughs> welcome to society. Welcome back to society. Well, <laughs> to the free world. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> yeah, as people will hear, um, we're going to go back to your story, but you have been, it's like a movie. In my view, you've been rigged, set up, and a miscarriage of justice, and that period of your life is just gone. But like people heard, you've been a very um, resourceful writer about economic subjects. And we've had several economic shows lately. Okay. We've covered the black economy. We've covered the crisis, the pandemic, or the crash that actually happened right before the pandemic. And I yeah. have to say, in the magazine, New Time, we had uh, the uh, editor, is that what they call it? Redacteur, editor? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, we had him on last week. But in that uh, magazine, you've had several articles warning about what's going to happen. You were a, a couple of years early out, mm. but you said um, uh, you said uh, economical crisis um, ahead uh, was one article. You said uh, the economy will collapse. You said uh, Ragnarok on its way. Ragnarok yeah. is the Norse uh, uh. <laughs> judgment day. <laughs> You said, uh, and and this is, uh, I want to ask you about this in the show today. Economist collapse, could it be Norway's salvage? Mm. <laughs> you have also one called the doomsday profits increases. More and more uh, experts uh, realize a collapse will come. And then it came, maybe after you came out. Actually, you, you've been in during the whole Corona time too. Uh, no, I, well, I've been at home, but I was uh, I was uh, in uh, in prison for uh, up until April, April May. Well, okay. Uh, from April May, I've been at home and uh, I've been out working every day. So it's been sort of like a semi-free situation, if you will. Right, but but this it really started the corona in I think February March. You you. You should be happy you got out of the prisons because they are very infectious areas, of course. Yes, I'm happy about that. I was actually very lucky because uh, there was a bit of a panic in the criminal justice system at that time. And they, uh, I pressed uh, very hard to, to try to get out. And uh, for a few weeks there, they were very uncertain about how they should handle the situation with the pandemic yeah. or the so-called pandemic. Yeah. And I was lucky to be able to go home. Yeah. And then they closed the doors, so to speak, so that all other people who could have gone home were prevented from that. Oh, so, yeah. damn. Because um, in many countries, they have let out prisoners yeah. uh, before the time also. And some just temporary. 
But um, yeah, that was in the beginning. They didn't know how to handle it. Now, I'm, I'm going to read the title of some of your articles so people know what we're going to discuss today. Okay. Um, it's all related. You have one article here called A Gigantic Pyramid Scheme. Mm. Uh, and that's uh, your commentary to the book Sabotage, The Business of Finance. Very interesting book. Um, so we're going we're gonna to discuss a little those matters. You have another article called Cash Free and Totalitarian. I guess the title says it all. <laughs> then you have one called Deutsche Bank and the Dead Bank Directors. Uh, you have one called um, uh, Fully Rotten and Entirely Normal. Mm-hmm. That's uh, and and a very famous quote. It starts with, "If people understood how the banking system works, it will be revolution tomorrow." That's Henry Ford. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's. <laughs> <laughs> it's a commentary to the book uh, "Swimming with the Sharks," and then you have one article called "The Bank Scheme." Yeah, and you have one called "The Bank and the Pyramid Game of the State." Mm. So, I think we could begin in this end, and which will be kind of a continuation of a former show. We had a chap on, we talked about uh, what's called um, modern monetary theory. I bet you're familiar with that. Uh, yes, I am. Uh, and I think the guy who launched it, Richard uh, Werner, I really like his analysis, but people misunderstand and think... MMT is like a policy. Well, it's implement, the reality of MMT is implemented as a policy, uh, for, for the elite, of course, never for the people. If it's for the people, then we can't afford it. <laughs> but it's, if it's for the oligarchs and the multinational corporations, no problem. Let's loot the treasure. And so we see that they push the bill, so to speak, into the future. Uh, but they, it's not just time that makes MMT possible uh, for them to to apply. It's also space. If you could expand endlessly in space as in time. In time, it's in the future, right? And in space, yeah. you could say, well, if we start mining, let's say the moon or meteorites or even other planets in the future, it would kind of have the same principle as when you postpone it in time. So if you can just... Uh, spend whatever you uh, need to now, then the bill is kind of transferred to whatever will come in in the future or in um, in the distance in time or in the distance in space, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So that's how I, in my layman words, would explain how they can. And, and as long as, and I, my guest also said another thing I want you to comment. He said that as long as uh, it's not tied to the consummation of resources. They can get away with it. As soon as this is tied to consummation of resources, then it will immediately collapse the economy. I mean, the MMT um, uh, practice. So, so what's your thought of, about this? Well, uh, what I try to do when I write these articles, I try to do it from an historical perspective. And... Uh, if you start uh, talking about the fiat money system, which is uh, which is what uh, is at the root cause yeah. of the problems we have in the world today, of course the fiat currency system, fiat is not really a money, it's just currency, 
And if you if you look at the fiat uh, currency system uh, today, you have to look at the, the historical, um, what should I say, uh, backdrop to, to this. And it all started in uh, 1910 when Senator Aldrich uh, took some of the most in influential and rich uh, bankers in the world down to Jekyll Island. I'm sure you've heard of that yeah, story. Infamous story. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, Jekyll Island, they concocted a scheme in order to hijack the whole monetary system from the people and privatize it into their own private banks. And uh, therefore, they called it, uh, and there was a big discussion about how they could sort of lure the people uh, into accepting this. And uh, that's the reason for the name, the Federal Reserve Banking System. It sounds very official. It sounds very sort of like uh, democratic and and so forth but of course it's uh, it's it's a scam yeah and uh, exactly like uh, henry ford once said if the people knew how the banking system really works it would be a revolution tomorrow uh, what this is is uh, uh, and the reason for them doing this is because they saw that uh, quite a large number of banks were being established uh, mainly in the U.S. and they were scared of their uh, oligopoly situation. They wanted to monopolize the banking system as much as possible. Uh, and if you look at it today, uh, I think we're at the end of the road where they're really trying to uh, put the final nail in the coffin in order to control everything. So you, you, would you say that they realize that the jig is up and now they're trying to transition into a uh, situation where they will not be held accountable where but where they will maintain control is that kind of an incentive among the elites uh, i think that uh, there is uh, there is two there are two big uh, players out there today one is uh, one is the backers of the fiat uh, money system which of course started with the rothschilds and the rockefellers and the aldrich and the uh, morgans morgans and the uh, yeah. You know, the Warburgs uh, who were behind the, the meeting at the Jekyll Island. Mm -hmm. And the other uh, are the ones that would like to go back to, to, to sort of like people's money system, uh, which is a gold-based gold -based, uh, gold um, system. Yeah, like Ron Paul and yeah. many libertarians. And I, I'm assuming also those, uh, uh, just a little detour, what about Bitcoin? Where does that fit in? Isn't that kind of a fiat money too? Well, Bitcoin... Or, or, or crypto coins, I mean. Well, I'm actually, the more I read and, uh, and learn about Bitcoin, the more uncertain I become about uh, the value and the use of Bitcoin and if indeed it will be uh, the people's money, so to speak. Because uh, in... Uh, in general terms, cryptocurrencies is a liberating type of money system because it's for the people. The po there is no banking control. There is no government uh, looking over the shoulder and seeing what you're spending your money on and things like that. So uh, it, in that sense, it's a very liberating scheme or, or money system. But uh, what puzzles me with Bitcoin and the other cryptocurrencies is that there is no seemingly no opposition or fight against it from the powers that be that's suspicious in and, itself yeah, yeah that's suspicious in itself because one would have thought that they would try to do something to stop bitcoin mm. now there are rumors that uh, 
the elites, uh, meaning the bank, uh, the bankers have already acquired control over Bitcoin. Uh, who knows? I don't. Mm. But uh, there, we could have a situations where they, in um, hopefully in desperation, uh, try to dig- make this digital currency. And the digital currency, in my opinion, would be something like the SDRs. That's a special drawing rights issued by the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank. And uh, if they do that, uh, and they have the power, ultimately a military power, to just tell people that uh, it's illegal to trade in bitcoins or in uh, any other cryptocurrency, then uh, the question becomes, is that possible? Can they stop a sort of decentralized system from from existing? It's kind of like uh, if you want to ask... Uh, if you forbid people smoking uh, marijuana, uh, how do you do that? How do you enforce it? It's impossible, isn't it? Because mm. you can't stop people from from drinking or smoking pot in their own homes. So it's kind of difficult. You could, of course, uh, impose the death sentence and, and hope that you could stop it. And camera in every living room. Yeah. So uh, I think the judgment on the cryptocurrencies is still out there. We don't know exactly how this is going to play out. But uh, for certain, I don't expect the current bankers, uh, having had control of the banking system and money for uh, quite a few hundred years, are willing to simply let that power uh, go. Mm. They're going to put up a fight. I'm not not exactly sure how they'll do it. Well, um, certainly the shadow side of crypto coins is horrible. And that's a centralized blockchain system. And you know... I've just read, and this sounds like, you know, if you go back a couple of decades, if you take the most extreme Christian fundamentalist conspiracy theory, it's now on print in the Bank of England. They say uh, that they want, or they suggest or something like that, it's a few months since I read it, and Richard Werner speaks about it too, that they are Mm. saying that people should have a chip uh, if they accept the chip that could be connected to their, to this centralized blockchain system controlled by the big banks and then they could get UBI, which is a principle I kind of support if it's real UBI, like completely without condition. You know what I mean with the UBI, right? Borgalun. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, so, but in order to be eligible, to receive it, this is the banking scheme version, uh, then you need this chip and um, mm-hmm. um, it's all going to be digital. And we, I mean, we don't need the movies depicting this story to understand the horror of it, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, no, people um, like you, uh, no, pro- oh, you're talking too much about banking secrets. Uh, you know, let's delete his account or something. It's that easy. No, I, I mean, uh, what you're talking and describing there brings us right back to Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, written in 1932, and the re- revision, I guess, back in the 90, early 1960s, and to George Orwell's 1984. And uh, according to Aldous Huxley, uh, you know, they, we're in the final chapter now where we have succumbed to these uh, forces and uh, we accept them gladly. We accept our servitude gladly because we've been uh, we've been uh, we've been drugged, so to speak, by uh, by this propaganda machine for many many years. Mm. 
and uh, we don't see what's coming. We don't see uh, the kind of 24-7 surveillance society that they're bringing upon us because we're too busy looking down at our phones and yeah. twittering and writing messages and talking about our life on Facebook. Yeah. So it's a, it's a pretty shrewd scheme. Hmm. But, uh, you know, uh, if you go back, you look at the Bank of England, I mean, it was uh, in 1694 that the Bank of England was established by King William, and uh, he uh, he did it in order to to finance the uh, the war wars against France and also the um, the war in the colonies. And it was a pretty that was the first time that the banking system and the politicians went to bed with each other. Mm. So uh, they printed money. Uh, that was a fiat system, of course, and they used half of the money to finance the wars and half of the money, uh, the shareholders, which was the king himself and his uh, and his closest associates, they lent it out to people within for interest. And uh, since then, they've been in bed together. You said uh, Jekyll Island was in was in 1910. You said. Yeah. Yeah. So was was the economy up to that point uh based on actual value like like gold and stuff like that? Well the history uh, history is such that it's it's gone back and forth. We've had Okay. I would say that we've had maybe maybe as maybe more than a thousand different fiat uh money or currency systems throughout history going back for 4000 3000 years. But they've all uh, broken down. They've all uh, they've all collapsed. Mm. Uh, each one of them. So, but it's gone back and forth. And uh, we've actually had uh, several attempts in the USA to establish a Federal Reserve Bank. At least two other attempts before the Federal Reserve, which failed. Uh huh. So, uh, yeah. So, but uh, the the fact of the matter is that no fiat system. Uh, survives. Uh, the uh, I think there's more than a thousand fiat systems throughout history that have been raised and perished, and uh, they all collapse because it's a pyramid scheme, and it it goes on until the legs of the pyramid cannot hold it any longer, and then it collapses. And the average age of the fiat system is sort of like 35 to 40 years, and this one we're into. 50 or 55 years or even 60, depending mm. on which date you pick. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we are overdue for a collapse, and uh, when people say that they're happy that we have zero or negative interest rates, and uh, and uh, you know uh, we print money like there's no tomorrow, mm. people get the illusion that uh, you can have uh, you can have value for nothing. You can get money for nothing, and you you can get this borgulön uh, as we call it, and everything is fine. Mm. But the point is, if helicopter money, just dropping money from the sky or just uh, having a digital digital wallet uh, where the government gives you money and it's all for free and you don't have to work, then uh, if that's okay and that uh, builds uh, values, then why not just do a lot more of it? Yeah, yeah, but that's not UBI. Um, so the thing is, uh, like Norway today, we have a huge, as you know, a huge, um, I don't know the English word, but it's the welfare state. It's the uh, different kinds of uh, trigged. How would you translate that to English? Uh, well, it's a, it's a giant welfare system from cradle to grave where yeah. you are 
where different interest groups are given privileges in order to keep the, keep them sedated from <laughs> yeah. from but, any but kind the, of responsibility for their own lives. But here's the point, uh, like you said, from cradle to grave, and the cost of such a bureaucracy is humongous. And uh, UBI would save so much money for a country like Norway. We would get rid of, uh, first of all, we would get rid of that um, nanny state mentality that Norwegians are suffering from because oh. uh, for all advantages of having a trygde system, we call it trygde, it's like, it's not really social security, but it's different kinds of securities that the state uh, gives. But in order to be eligible, you have to be like a client, you have to be like a, mm. uh, you're not a customer, you're not an equal, you're just a cog in the in the big machine. And then there's the salaries for all the people who facilitates this from controllers to payers to, yeah. you know, there's a billion uh, jobs uh, connected to it too. And it would be so much more effective to get rid of all that stuff and just implement the UBI. And then you would say, oh, where were the money? First off, tests with UBI shows. Mm-hmm. that people don't stop working. In fact, <laughs> all they do... In fact, often what happens is that they start doing jobs that are not accepted in the current rigged economic system as vi- sustainable or viable economically. But these are jobs that has to be done. And so <clears throat> people do those things. And of course, it also helps those who have very low salary to get stuff around. So... Uh, if we started from scratch, we didn't have to discuss solutions like UBI, but we're not starting from scratch. We're starting in a such a rigged and corrupted system that we need a way out. And we see that today in America where you're probably aware that half, half the people are soon without housing and people are go- uh, losing their jobs or they're taking pay cuts. And uh, America is due for collapse, actually. Well, uh, I think the United States is in the the sixth and final stage of uh, the fall of an empire, yes. pretty much like the Roman Empire, unfortunately. But the, the the silver lining, I think, is that when America collapses, it will force a change for better or worse, because they have been calling the shots globally for so long. And if their people rises up, there is hope if they can clean their own system. But let's let's take a, a couple of small issues first. Why is cash-free totalitarian just for those who have, haven't got that? Um, well, it's um, the effect of a cash-free society is that everything is uh, di- digital. And if you have a digital uh, money system, uh, you automatically can... Um, follow uh, each and every person's use of that dig- digital cash. So if you, mm. uh, you are not free anymore. Now, if you spend, uh, if you spend a hundred dollars in, uh, in, you know, you, you send hundred dollars to the, the, the Red Cross, or if you spend hundred dollars on a prostitute, they will know about it. Mm. Uh, so it's, it's essentially an unfree world because, uh, and then they can, of course, uh, uh, go further uh, and uh, like some people say if you want to see the future look to China mm. in China they are already experimenting with this where they have this uh, chip that they implant and uh, they follow every move you make and you get a scorecard sort of like a social scorecard and if you have a digital currency you can very easily 
uh, implement uh, a social scorecard. So let's say you you do do things that uh, low, lowers your score. Well, then you can be penalized by the state in many different ways. You can go into a store, try to buy something, and you get to the counter and you say your social scoring does not um, mm. uh, actually pro- prohibits you from buying this product, or it could get even worse than that. Mm. So it's really the essential uh, battle between uh, complete government totalitarian control of each and every citizen. That's what we're talking about. Mm. And... Uh, that's what, unfortunately, people don't seem to realize. Mm. No, it's true. And, of course, with a cash-free society, there's also control over money. They only become uh, numbers in a computer. And then you could say, well, who's accessing the control system of the computers, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so they can basically... You know, the elites will uh, be, they can seal themselves off forever. Yeah. From, from the people. Forever. Well, you know, we, we pretty much have a digital banking system already. I mean, when you go into a bank and you say, I want to borrow $1 million to buy a house, they don't have that money. I mean, they, 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 uh, they create it. They create credit. Now, it's only the central banks that can um, create money. But uh, the, uh, the 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 private banking system they they create credit. They don't have the money for your house. They create it just by typing some figures into a computer and they say, "Here we go, go buy the house." Mm. And then you have to pay them back the one million dollar plus interest on money that didn't exist, shouldn't exist, and that, that they shouldn't give you. Mm. This is this is uh, this is the giant scam that Henry Ford was talking about. So when you call it a pyramid scheme, could you try to dumb down and explain how a pyramid scheme works for those who who don't know it? Because, I mean, everybody knows the notion, but I'm not so sure everybody understands the mechanism of it. Well, the the right term for it is fractional reserve banking or fractional reserve lending and fraction being a, a smaller part of something bigger. It it would take too long to explain the whole system. I would probably need to uh, a blackboard to draw it all out. But but hang on, hang on. Are you familiar with the cartoon online in three parts called Money as Debt? Uh, I'm afraid I'm not, but uh, okay. I'm familiar with the uh, Mike Maloney's uh, series on uh, the hidden secrets of money, which uh, should be. Uh, should be seen in every university and every school, I think. Which uh, so you can find that on YouTube, right? Yeah, Mike Maloney's hidden secrets of money, mm. and in particular, I believe uh, episode four or five, where he talks about uh, this pyramid scheme, is excellent. I've got a video out on YouTube about the system, but I have to say, Mike Maloney uh, explains it far better than I do. And uh, it's basically a pyramid scheme because you you leverage. You leverage, uh, you know, the money that you are able to access uh, from the central banks. And uh, uh, you, when, for example, you put your salary into a bank account and say that is a hundred, let's say it's a hundred dollars, they will lend out. Uh, and if the, the requirement for security for your money is say 10%, they'll lend out 90 and the next time they'll lend out 81 and, and retain uh, nine, uh, excuse me, eight with the central bank. So what they do is they actually lend out your 
your money. Ten times over? Ten times or twenty times over. But mm. in, as a matter of fact, they can do it almost without limit because most banks don't have reserve re requirements anymore. They have re requirements uh, about how their equity should be. You know, the, and anybody that knows uh, anything about cooking the books uh, knows that they can uh, they can uh, play around with their own balance and they can play around with their accounts and they can lend they can make it uh, look any way they want so they can virtually lend out uh, as much as they like mm. it's almost limitless and this is money that of course they haven't got and your your security for this is minimal so there's maybe they have liquid reserves of between three to five percent and some banks don't even have that. So when 3.5% uh, of the population or the savers go to their bank and say, we want our money out, there's nothing left. Mm. And then, of course, you have bank runs. And this is what happened back when Lehman Brothers uh, collapsed back in 2008. Is, uh, when there was a strain on li liquidity, it's exactly because of the fractional reserve lending system and which is extremely important for people to understand because if Deutsche Bank, who has uh, who is priced by their shareholders as being a, a bank that should uh, be turned in for liquidation, that's how the shareholders view Deutsche Bank. Uh, if Deutsche Bank goes down, we're talking numbers much, much bigger than Lehman Brothers. Mm. And when Lehman Brothers collapsed, we were only two, three hours away from a total collapse of the whole financial system. Now, the reason for all of this back in 2007, 2008 was debt. Debt. And at that time, the total debt in the world was about $105 trillion. And the system almost collapsed. Well, in 2020, the debt has increased to $285 trillion. Jesus. So, so it is just a matter of time before this collapses because it has to collapse because of the pyramid scheme. And we saw we saw the start of the collapse back in September last year when the repo market, which is the repurchase market for banks, the overnight lending market, started having the same kind of problems they had back in 2007 and 2008. Yeah. Well, this time, the Federal Reserve, they were better prepared. But the problem is that... Uh, hang on, hang on, hang on. By better prepared, presumably you're meaning that they had managed... After 2008, there was, uh, they implemented uh, a new rule that said that you do not need the politicians' approval, uh, I'm assuming Congress' approval, to print money out of thin air and pump it into the market which they had to do then they had to get the uh, and so what happened um, last autumn and all the way into spring before the corona well, is that they pumped trillions into the market uh, directly without going through so there was very little press about it of course the press is bought and paid for no. and there was very little political oversight so basically what they've done is that they've taken the collective means that supposedly belongs to the people you and me and they have just you know pumped like a machine gun into the into the markets yes they have now, how much of that money that they um, that they've pumped into the market actually 
is being used that's that's a big question because a lot of this uh, is psychology it's yeah. uh, it's yeah. the illusion of uh, the fed being able to solve every problem there is mm. uh, and uh, uh, some of the money is not even used but if you go uh, if you go back to if you go back to the federal when the federal reserve board was uh, thought of back in uh, 1910 in order to make that system work, they had to have a, a lender of last resort or a payer of last resort. And there's no coincidence that the internal revenue system and the income tax was, uh, uh, was established in the same year that the Federal Reserve Bank was, uh, was established because ultimately it's the taxpayer, you and I and everybody else, that end up paying the bills for all these rich bankers when the system breaks. Mm. And of course, the bankers know that it will break because they've done it so many times before that they know that the system ultimately breaks because it's a, it's a pyramid scheme mm. or a Ponzi scheme. So they had to have some kind of lender of last resort to bail them out. And that is you and I, the taxpayers. Mm. And again, coming back to Henry Ford's uh, statement about if, the, if we really knew what was going on, there would be a revolution. And there should be one because people need to open their eyes to see uh, these banks for what they really are. Yeah, and we're going to get back to solutions. But uh, yeah, it's like you say, they they um, privatize the gains and they socialize the losses. Like in uh, American lingo, it's called corporate socialism. It's like there's going to be no risk for us multi-corporations oh, uh, are people, of course, only when it comes to rights, not when it comes to duties. And um, not only are corporations people, but we'll be welfare queens. <laughs> you're going to subsidize us. You're going to bail us out. You're going to uh, let us do all these dirty things that when they do get the bailouts, they're not using it to make the market healthier. <laughs> they're using it for stock buybacks and profits and lots of bullshit. And so... Yeah, give us the collective money and never punish us for anything. Mm. Uh, so let us do crimes, help us do crimes, give us incentives to do crimes, reward us for doing crimes, pay us for doing crimes. And if we screw up the, everything for everyone, then uh, pay us even more and help us continue. Whereas punish the victims, the people. That's basically the philosophy of what's going on, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's 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 pretty close. Uh, the one the ones that are being hurt the most uh, are the uh, the people, the savers, uh, which in large part are the people that are either already pensioned or about to be pensioned, and of course their future generations. I mean, when the Federal Reserve pumps uh, 3.5 trillion dollars into the economy, uh, which has to be paid back at some point. What they're doing is criminal against uh, the coming population, the unborn child. They're actually levying a huge tax on unborn children that has no say in what uh, in assuming all this debt. Mm. So it's it's a, <laughs> it could be called a crime against humanity, really, because uh, uh, people unborn <laughs> unborn children uh, come into this world with a huge debt on their shoulder, and they've had no say in how that debt was acquired and they've had no say in agreeing and accepting this debt 
So it's uh, it's it's really a crime, and you could say that it's run by a crime syndicate. I guess would be appropriate word for it. Yeah, only that they are uh, dressing in smokings, not in masks. So. But, you know, Jeremy Irons, he said, the actor, British actor, he said back in the recession, he said that, uh, and you said, we now owe, uh, uh, the debt is 285 trillions. Yeah. Whatever the number was back then, he said, okay, let, let's say he used that number. So he would say then, okay, so the world is owing 285 trillions. But, if if that's the debt, we have to owe it to someone. Who are these bastards? Can they please enter the scene? Maybe we could hang them or something. I mean, if there's a debt, isn't there also a debtor, someone who collects? Well, yes, supposedly, and that's uh, that's what's missing from most of the uh, discussions among the Keynesian ec- economists who think that you can just scratch the debt and be done with it. Well, of course you can't, because for every debtor there is a creditor and vice versa. So you can't. Who are the creditors for these two eighty-five trillion? The the creditors. Yeah. Well, m- much of the creditors uh, would be uh, would some. A lot of it is pushed into the future as debt to be paid by the citizen and the creditors. Well, they're all over the place. I mean, it's all debt. It could be associated with real estate. It could be associated with buying stocks, bonds, whatever, because everything is leveraged. That is, when uh, when a uh, when a creditworthy client that has millions in the bank or even billions in the bank gets access to this cheap money, uh, he spends not much of his own money. He 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 borrows the money in order to invest more and make. Uh, even more millions to its portfolio. So it's uh, sort of like a vicious circle, if you will. So he borrows money, but but it has to be the banks at the end of the day who collects. Well, uh, that's that's why at, at the root of the problem, at the root of what's going on now under the pandemic, where people are losing their jobs and you will see people, uh, you will see foreclosures in the real estate market and you will see a lot of bad things happen for the common common man ultimately all of this filters down into the banks which is why ultimately the banks will collapse hmm. so you'll probably i mean in in europe the banks are even worse off than in the states uh, in the 740 some banks in italy for example between 25 and 30% of the loans are are uh, are bad. I mean, they're uh, they're not being paid, and uh, they're being just extended. Mm. But uh, there comes a time when they can't be extended anymore. Uh, you have a Deutsche Bank, who's about to, who's been who's got forty trillion dollars in derivatives, and that's about uh, almost half the total gross national product of the world just in derivatives. Wow! And when that and if you read. Uh, you you mentioned earlier the article that I wrote about dead banksters. Yeah, uh, where uh, Deutsche Bank is involved with the Monte de Pesci, the uh, the oldest bank in the world. I mean, they used the the derivative schemes to try to prop up the balance sheet and make things right at Monte de Pesci, who was about to go bankrupt, and they worsened the situation. And that's when they needed to cover it up and. 
uh, all these uh, suspicious death deaths occurred. Yeah, so what's that about? Could you give some meat to that bone? What, why did uh, who's killing them, and why are they being murdered? Well, um, let me rephrase that. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that uh, they were they were murdered. It's just su- su- suspicious deaths. I would call it. No. Uh, people people should make up their own minds about if this is something really bad or not. But I have my own opinion, of course, about that. But uh, when more than 70 banksters, uh, bank directors, uh, sort of uh, die mysteriously or commit suicides, there has to be something behind it. I mm. mean, it just doesn't happen without a reason. And it's happening within a certain span of time, obviously. Yeah. So... Uh, by the way, this is an. Uh, I got this from an article by uh, this uh, this guy called uh, Tucker, who uh, I'm pretty sure writes for Casey Research, mm. so people can look it up there. But uh, I just thought it was interesting to see how far you know this system will uh, go in order to protect themselves. And uh, history tells us that uh, there is really no limit to what they'll do. This old bank, Monte dei Pasci, is that in the Vatican Bank? What is that bank, MDP? I, I don't have a detailed knowledge of who the shareholders or who controls the bank. But, uh, so it's just a normal Italian bank? Well, um, it's a very old, prestigious Italian bank. And uh, whether it's associated with the Vatican, I don't know. But uh, mm, okay. one would assume that it is. I mean, the the widow of one of them, Rossi, she says straight out that he knew too much. Yeah. So if we want to be like detectives here, we're going to create a hypothesis to see if this is uh, some kind of shakedown going on in the criminal world of mafioso banking. Then what would the hypothesis be? Well, the hypothesis would be that uh, uh, this de- derivative scheme that they uh, that they applied in order to uh, save uh, Monte de Pesce from going Pesce from going bankrupt uh, is uh, is has a, a, a criminal side to it that uh, cannot be brought into the public's eye. Mm. And when things went from bad to worse, uh, and you know, it was difficult covering this up, then you need to silence those who who perhaps could uh, or are tired or or scared of covering it up from saying anything. And so that would be the hypothesis that they, they knew too much and uh, uh, we need to keep this uh, under wrap and uh, therefore we need to sort of silence them. That yeah. would be the hypothesis if you were in... <clears throat> A detective, I guess. Yeah, but we would have to go further. We would have to find the suspects. And if it's the bank directors, like in the case of David Rossi, he should have, uh, according to your article, the claim is that he's jumping backwards out the window of his office with blue marks on both his arm and a deep cut from a, a weapon. In his mm-hmm. head, and then he landed uh, 10 meters further down on his back. So, obviously, it's it's a murder in my eyes, but we need to know who has done it. So, if, if it was just like a bank functionary, someone in the middle of the system who wanted to blow the whistle, sure, we could 
suspect the bankers, but this is the chief of the bankers. So if they kill him, it's because he, if he knows too much and they kill him for that, it's because he, they can't trust that he won't talk. So obviously he's been threatening to talk. So who is afraid? I don't think it's the shareholders. I think this smells of intel. Mm-hmm. industry like or, or the banking industry it's it's like those who have an interest in maintaining the system i often say imagine the elites like a mafia system because in a mafia system there will be infighting between families for control we're trying to take over each other's territory we call we're always competing right but yes. on the same time um if there's a exterior threat the FBI or something is after them. Then they all band together to survive because they know they're in it. They're in the same ship, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And that's how I regard this too, that there are people who have interest to keep this dirty rigged system going. And if, you know, the top of a bank is killed, then nobody's above him in the bank. So there's nobody in his bank who would do this. It would have to be people who have a common interest to keep it like that, or the bankers or the intel system, which is facilitating and in bed uh, CIA is into banking and all that stuff. So that's what I'm thinking. What, what do you think about the perps? Well, I, uh, you know, it's difficult to say, but I think that uh, any system like that for it uh, to work, like um, you call it mafia system, yeah. it would need to be compartmentalized uh, pretty strictly, so that uh, you only, you, you know, on, on a need to know basis. Yeah, and uh, obviously you have to go to the very top for these uh, uh, for these uh, tragic events to, to be decided and for them to take place, but. Um, Difficult to speculate exactly where you find a perpetrator, but uh, I think it's pretty near the top of the pyramid. It would have to be. Mm. And that points to the central banks. Yeah, I would say so. And, you know, the the central bank, so the central bank is the Bank of International Settlements in Basel. The old Nazi bank, yeah. Yeah. The, I think uh, they... Uh, that bank is at least rumored to to be uh, even higher up uh, the chain of command than the Federal Reserve. Mm. So. Well, it's interesting because um, Richard Werner said that the solution for all this crap is small community banks. He He didn't abandon the whole banking system. He says that, and he's the first one. Who, because all the economists are just theoricians. They're sitting behind their desks and they're concocting up philosophies. And uh, I mean, some are, are valid, some are not. But he's done the first scientific research and he's proven okay. that small community banks, decentralized bank, local banks, are what's actually saving the economy. That's what's generating uh, the plus in the economy. And then he says that, obviously, central banks, but also big banks, national banks, banks that are into this gambling system, uh, that are playing around with, uh, what's it called, derivatives and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. who are doing completely unoverseen uh, betting on on failed loans and all that stuff that was uh, involved in the recession and which is going on now too, even worse. He said that those are the banks that making the toxic toxicity in 
the system. And that if, and, and he also said that that's the reason of why both China mm-hmm. and Germany is doing so well. It's because like Germany, I think he said 80% of the banks are local community banks. Mm-hmm. Your view on that? Well, I, I I agree with his assessment that you know the big banks and the research, st- not assessment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That uh, that yeah research that uh, if it shows that the, the the big banks are the are the toxic ones, I I agree with that because I mean if you look at the fractional reserve lending system to come back to that because it's so important to understand mm. if you have a society. Uh, where you are, you are all of a sudden you want to uh, have a government, uh, and uh, uh, for for that purpose you hold elections, and the ones who promise the most to the people wins. Mm-hmm. Then they, uh, after that, that is done. You have to have you have a finance department, you have an environment department, you have an agricultural department, and so forth. Well, the the treasury or the finance department. They have to make do on those promises that they made to the people about building roads and what have you, schools. Uh, but they have no money starting out. So where do they get the money? Well, they issue a bond, uh, a debt certificate that they send via the big banks over to the the Federal Reserve or the central bank. And this, uh, the central bank is then supposed to buy that loan. I'm saying buy in uh, hyphens. Mm. So, but the federal bank has no money either. So what do they do? Well, they write uh, a, 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 a worthless check for, let's say, for 100 million. And they send it back, uh, back to the treasury via the banking system. And whoops. All of a sudden, the treasurer has a hundred million mm. that they can spend on roads. Mm. I mean, that's how money is created out of thin out of thin air. Mm. And uh, then that uh, money get, of course, gets into the system, and that's when uh, the banks get a hold of the money and they can leverage and they can lend out what's in your savings account or in your in your um, payment account. 10 times, 20 times, or almost limitless. So that's where it becomes toxic. So in other words, if you have some savings, you should really convert them to something tangible like um, like um, houses, uh, what's it called, possessions, possessions, or like gold, you know, uh, evergreen uh, value uh, stuff. Because uh, if if at the end of the day your bank account is the vulnerable, uh, we what we call salderingspost. I don't know the English word, but if if it all collapses at the end of the day, it will reach your bank account, and what was worth one million will be worth a thousand eventually. It's not safe. Well, the thing is, when when the banking system collapses, because it will collapse. Mm. Uh, then first, of course, uh, your savings account and your account where you get your salary into mm. disappears. <clears throat> okay, uh, uh, and that's where the bank guarantee or the comes into play. Uh, in Europe, uh, you're supposed to have a guarantee for uh, for each each deposit bank account. You're supposed to have a guarantee of some hundred thousand euros. Mm. And in Norway, it's two million kroner, which is a little bit more than 200,000 euros. The point is, is that if you look at the balance sheet of uh, 
the guarantee institute and the people or the ecb or whatever that guarantees this in europe and the guarantee institute in norway don't they don't have that kind of money they have less than three percent of what they're actually guaranteeing to the depositors or the clients of the bank so uh, there is an illusion that uh, uh, you will get your money but you won't you, you will get nothing and uh, because it's all been spent it's been spent by the bank uh, for lending out for houses and what have you to keep the real estate bubble going and they spend a lot of the money on their own investments uh, you know like the like they're in a casino in Las Vegas they yeah. spend your money so what happens and this is why this is why the Federal Reserve uh, in America was uh, established at the same time that the income tax was because they needed a lender or someone to save them of last resort which of course then brings us back to the taxpayers and the citizens of each country yes they are the ones they are the ones who end and end up with the bill yeah. yeah so at the end of the day the state will go in and and take over and say we guarantee for each bank account and they will have to use the resources of the state so if the state is poor there's a limited what they can do if the state has resources like norway at least as long as the oil is going then they can bail it out but well the point is is that norway don't really have the resources norway is really a very poor country uh, from an economic standpoint yeah why is why is that explain that well uh norway has uh, has an uh, has an economy where after 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 a productive worker who is a net tax contributor has paid for his own social services he has to pay for three other norwegians who are not who are net tax uh, collectors hmm. and so the uh, that equation is a hopeless equation because uh, it doesn't uh, it doesn't equate you know you can't have a system where you and I, if we are productive, have to pay for three or four other people uh, after we paid for ourselves. For mm. the, so the, the social welfare system with all the privileges is really a, a broken system. Now, you, on top of that, you look at the current liabilities for pensions and uh, medical services and stuff like that into the future, and you will see that uh, the, the commitment uh, to pay those... Uh, 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 liabilities is higher than the total uh, total value of the oil fund, hmm. uh, and it's growing by four to five hundred billion kroners each year. So uh, the money has been spent. I mean, uh, it's it's gone now because it's tied up to pensions. It's tied up to that. Hmm. Then recently, we also found out that. The water system in Norway is totally broken as well. More than 75% of the water is running through pipes that are more than 75 or 80 years old. And 75% of the water never reaches its destination. And the estimated cost of that wow. is, uh, could, could go as high as, uh, as a, a total Norwegian uh, you know, national budget. Although the, the the sum they're mentioning now is like three to four hundred billion kroner, everyone knows that if that's the starting point, it's going to get a lot more <laughs> yeah. expensive than that. Yeah. So, and uh, then you add to this the fact that before the pandemic broke, or the so-called pandemic broke, seventy uh, percent of the 
listed companies on the Oslo Stock Exchange needed additional liquidity to survive, 70%. Mm. So, and you add to that that uh, the main trading partners of Norway have a cost level 50% lower than Norway, you can very easily, yeah. uh, you know, draw the, draw the conclusion that Norway is hopelessly, hopelessly uh, in the hole when it comes to productivity and uh, when it comes to paying its bills in the future and, uh, you know, having money for the people to live a decent life. So the, yeah. Yes, we're very vulnerable for, for this global collapse. Completely. We're, we're completely in the hands of the banksters. <laughs> mm. yeah. So, um, yeah, because people don't know, obviously most of our listeners are not Norwegian, but Norwegians know that um, they have been uh, closing down primary production like uh, landbruk what's that in english um Ag- agriculture agriculture yeah. and stuff like that uh, on expense of oil 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 for everything and um, then they have used the i mean the oil money yes lots of it is in stocks and that will that can become zero overnight but lots of our oil money is also in hard assets like they bought up i think champs elysees <laughs> In France, yeah, they probably did. That's actually one of the better things they've done, right? I mean, you would want hard assets uh, for a rainy day. Of course, you do. I mean, this is like uh, the industrial magnet Stinnes did uh, in connection with the Weimar Republic back in the nineteen twenties. Mm-hmm. He saw what was coming when the, the Weimar Republic started printing money like crazy, just like the Federal Reserve and the European Central Bank is doing now. And he knew that it was uh, it spelled disaster. Uh, so he uh, so he did precisely that. He bought uh, just like Warren Buffett's been doing. Uh, you you buy railroad, and then you buy everything that's close to the railroad that are hard assets like mining companies and agriculture and stuff like that. Mm. And then you try to finance everything in the currency that is printing all this money because you know that currency is going to die. Right. So when you have to, so when you have to pay it back, you can, you can you can simply pay it back a dime on the dollar, so to speak, because you've been smart and you've realized that uh, it, the best is to finance in a currency that's going to go out of out of out of business. Yeah, but so, that's what we've seen been going on in America too. Now it's like. Uh, uh, I, I know I'm talking even about the corona crash that accelerated the crash that already begun. Mm-hmm. So what happens is that people are forced to sell their homes or, or, or they're not even selling it themselves, the banks are doing it. And, and so those who have money of resources to buy up now, they are getting stuff for a dime at the dollar, as you say. And so they will become a new superclass when this is reset. Well, this is history. Uh, or, or, or it's not a new yeah. one, it's the old one, but they, they, they're even even more richer and we are even more poorer. Yeah. Isn't that a correct analysis? Yeah, well, this is history repeating itself. On steroids. Every economic and financial collapse is really about transferring of wealth, okay? Right. Uh, and it's exactly what happened back in 1929 when, we, when the Great Depression broke. In 1927, Montague Norman, the the central bank chief of the Bank of England, 
went uh, anonymously on a boat over to New York, uh, and he called himself Professor Skinner. Mm -hmm. And uh, the reason for his an anonymity was because he was meeting up with the uh, with uh, the central bank bankers uh, of uh, France and Germany, and then uh, Mr. Strong, who was uh, running the Federal Reserve at that time. And in 1927, they had the same situation as we had, say, maybe three, four years ago, in terms of uh, all this printing of money and uh, and um, you know preparing the way for a collapse, which we've so far avoided. But anyway, they decided that they were going to collapse the economy. They decided they were going to collapse the collapse the financial markets back in 1927. Mm. Now, according to the history books. The German uh, banking chief walked out of the room together with the French. They wouldn't have any part of it. But the, the Brits and the Americans, they decided they were going to crash the market. But before they crashed the market in 1929, they gave all the people who were insiders the chance to get out. Mm. And they got out. And what happened whenever, uh, when everybody else uh, had to go and sell? Well, they picked it up for a dime on the dollar. Mm. So this is what happens in a collapse, that the richer get even richer. The so do you think... The inside wins, yeah. Yeah, do you think they're not realizing they can't keep this going anymore, so let's just well, uh, pop I think, a hole on the bubble? I think that uh, a very... Uh, you know, I've, I've been saying for some time that it's going to collapse, and, I, and I, I, I know that I'm right, I just haven't been right about the timing. That's true. Because I didn't realize they could rig the system for so long. Mm. But... Uh, you should listen when the people who are running the system speaks. And uh, that's why you should listen when the IMF comes out, like they did uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, they repeated this message now several times, is that we're, uh, they're preparing for a collapse. They're, they're not saying outright that we will have one yet, mm. but they are in between the lines. They're saying it's going to be very, very difficult. We're entering a depression and so forth. When the people who run the system, not me, not Peter Schiff, not the Jim Rickards, not all these guys, the, the doomsday sayers, <laughs> mm -hmm. say it, but when you hear it from the horse's mouth, mm. you should listen and you should be very careful about having money in the bank. You should be owning hard assets because when the IMF says that we're heading for what looks like a collapse, it is certain to come. IMF, just for those who don't know it, what is their role? I mean, one thing is what they, uh, their real role is. <laughs> you can say that too. But what's their alleged role up, uh, in this? Well, it's the, it's the International Monetary Fund who, who really has uh, an opinion about uh, just about every uh, economy in the world. And uh, they're involved in, together with the World Bank, in in underdeveloped countries and third world countries and, and so forth. And uh, to the pr purpose, of course, together with the United Nations is, is not really to help poor poor countries. It's the, quite the opposite. But also here we're living under... To enslave them, right? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a very sophisticated way of enslaving people and countries. Mm. Uh, you know, you go in and uh, to poor country and they say, we're coming here to save you. Here's all this money that you can lend from us. Uh, now, all that money that uh, is being lent to them is, of course, going back to pay the big corporations that the same people own or control or their friends own and control. And then uh, these countries start getting into serious debt. 
Could could you say that they are a bank for nation states? Yeah, I would say so. And, uh, but what about the World Bank? What's their role then? Well, which are their partners in crime? It's always IMF and World Bank. Well, you know, here we're getting into the sort of a space where it's easy to be called a conspiracy theorist, but. Uh, in my opinion, all this goes back to uh, to organizations like the Council of Foreign Relations, uh, ultimately back to organizations like Skull and Bones at the Yale, Yale University. And uh, the Council of Foreign Relations uh, have been running things for decades. They're involved in most policy decisions in the States. Some even say they uh, have a big influence over who becomes president. And when the United Nations was created, I think there was something like 72 delegates uh, that represented Council of Foreign Relations. Yeah, and, and, and CFRs also always have people in different uh, governments, and especially American. But you, uh, they are a think tank, and you, now you're doing real analysis. I was just, for basic education, for those who don't know what IMF or the World Bank is supposed to do, you know, what's the, what's their own claim to existence let alone the real manipulation of the system because they are neoliberal uh, vehicles trying to force the fiat system into a global uh, uh, default yes but so the world bank loans money to who to nation states well um, i'm not quite sure when you get into the nitty-gritty of it how it's actually done uh, what the world bank does and what the imf does but they facilitate loans to uh, nation states. Okay. At least, yeah. Mm, okay. They do. So, a uh, city of London. For those who doesn't know, London, as a town or city, is uh, divided into several zones, and there is one zone called City of London. So, I'm not talking about the entire <laughs> yeah. city of London. I'm talking about. Uh, just that zone called City of London. What people don't realize, and that this is, of course, the bank. This is like Wall Street. It's the banksters' little state within the state. Yeah. Because people don't realize that they are not following the ordinary rules of England. In fact, the Queen doesn't even have authority in City of London. They are independent. They are above the fray. They are unaccountable. Mm. And it's very interesting that... It's like the Vatican. It's like the Vatican within uh, Rome, uh, so to speak. So what's going on here? You had an article. Uh, I think it was uh, about Joris Lianjic, the Guardian journalist who delved into London's finance world. Mm -hmm. uh, could you speak a little about the crimes of City of London and, and what's going on? Well, I don't think it's much different from what is going on in the rest of the world, and in particular with the Federal Reserve in uh, in uh, in uh, in America. Yeah, I mean the it's 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 the same banking system, it's the same people owning it, and uh, they're conducting the same kind of uh, measures and procedures that they've been doing for a very very long time, and. Uh, the level of protection that they have, you know, you have the the Vatican City, you have the, the special street uh, that you're referring to. I hear what you say, but I uh, about them not being accountable to anyone. Mm. And I, I believe that to be true. However, uh, I don't know how far that really goes, because uh, 
uh, it's very difficult to know unless you're allowed into the rabbit hole and you can creep all the way down to the bottom. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But it's the same system almost throughout the whole world. Uh, so it's no difference between the city of London uh, with the banksters or if you go to the Federal Reserve in the States. It's the same. It's the same. Uh, but, but who would you say are most powerful? Who's call, most calling the shots? Is it the banksters in Switzerland? Is it the banksters in city of London? Is it Wall Street? Where would which, as we say in Norwegian, bull? <laughs> nest, <laughs> which nest of vipers is the worst here? Or, or are they all, uh, or can't you divide it by uh, location? Well, They're you know, when all of this, uh, if, if we go back a hundred years or so, uh, not, not even that far, and we look at things that happened back then, uh, for example, when Nikola Tesla uh, invented what he, what he thought was free energy, and uh, the, his financier was uh, J.P. Morgan, uh, who was uh, heavily into oil and such things, and energy. And uh, yeah, he was he was actually financing Edison. Yeah, and he also financed Nikola Tesla. And when yeah. he found out that uh, his investments in oil and other, uh, you know, fossil-driven uh, energy sources were in danger because of Nikola Tesla's invention. Mm. He, he retracted all funding for Nikola Tesla, uh, and uh, then a few weeks later, the whole laboratory was burned to the ground. Mm. Uh, and uh, that was the end of that. And we have similar stories about uh, uh, alternatives to fossil energy that has been tried uh, later uh, as inventions that have been, had the same kind of fate. So... If you go, what I'm trying to say is if you go back in history and you look at that incident and similar incidents, it was easy to see the perpetrator, mm. J.P. Morgan. Mm. And now as this uh, system, you know, banking and, uh, and the Federal Reserve has, uh, you know, been modernized and it's developed over the last hundred years, it's not so easy anymore to point your finger and say he did it. You know, mm -hmm. it's not that easy. I, there are a lot of people going out there and say they're saying that, well, the Rothschilds, they control every central bank in the world and the Rockefellers, they control this and they control that. Yeah, it might be that initially they did. Mm. But I think the system has its own sort of life support and is, it generates its own, you know, lifeblood so that. It's more difficult now to point at any one person or any one, you know, small group and say they did it. Mm. It's, it's not that easy. I, I hear this. Uh, the super class is about 6,000 people and 300 families. But I also know that the few investigative journalists left who look into money have a... Are there any? <laughs> well, <laughs> they're independent. Yeah. But they have a very hard time finding who owns what because of this very complex system of conglomerations and cartels and no. daughter corporations of mother corporations and, and, and fake corporations. And so is it conceivable that just a handful of people are owning uh, most of the resources? I know that you have uh, lists like, uh, what's they called? Like the, the, 50 richest people in the world, etc. Uh, those magazines that have that. 
Fortune 500, stuff like that. But that's like on the end side, accounting side. Yeah. If it's a rotten accounting, there's something deeper going on behind. So I, I, I always look at those as the rich actors. I'm not saying yeah, yeah, yeah. like people like Orman Röcke or, or Fredriksen, they are not rich. I'm just saying they are those who are rich in the white economy, mm-hmm. in the white world. But who's really controlling most of the assets? Do you have any notion about this? Or is there any way for us to find out in today's system? Well, you know, back when these, uh, when the, when uh, Senator Aldrich and uh, Warburg and, uh, the, and, uh, and JP Morgan and these guys went down to Jekyll Island back in 1910, it is said uh, that they controlled about uh, uh, one-sixth of the world's wealth at that time. Wow. Th- just those six uh, people. And uh, if they've been in control of the fiat monetary system since 1913, I'm sure that number is higher. Mm. You can safely say that. I mean, uh, they're, they're not in the business of doing this to acquire less wealth. And... Uh, uh, the number that I hear, which I cannot verify at all, mm-hmm. uh, because I don't, I simply don't know, mm-hmm. is that there is about between forty-five and fifty sort of top names mm-hmm. that uh, that uh, pretty much control the important parts of the system. Mm-hmm. But again, I'm very careful uh, when I say that because it's very easy to be called a conspiracy theorist these days, as you know. Yeah, but well, and uh, to to me, it really doesn't matter if there, it's fifty or six thousand. The point is, is that even six thousand is a very small number in terms of yeah. comparing it to the rest of the world population. But the conspiracy theory uh, dismissal doesn't work here because we are talking about a closed system where, per definition, there are. I mean, it's in the very nature of the system to have owners who, again, have owners behind them, who have owners behind them. So no serious person would call a basic analysis of today's corporatism for conspiracy theory. It's just analysis. No, I, I, I agree completely. The reason I agree, I agree completely, but I have had these discussions with the friends, family, and the business people, business associates, mm-hmm. and uh, it's very easy for, uh, for for them to counter because they don't like many people don't like what they're what they hear of course it's very easy for them to just go out and call it that so that is why i'm saying it uh, i agree I, but, but i agree with you yeah but they don't have any understanding they don't have an understanding of how it works uh, no serious person who knows how uh, so-called capitalism or i call it corporatism that we're living under yeah. that if they know how it works, uh, that's what you have to do. So you have to try to find out who owns this, then who owns that, uh, etc. And I disagree with you. I think it does matter how many it is. I I, I totally agree that six thousand is too few, but or three hundred families. But if it all boils down to one man controlling ninety percent of the world, you'll get everyone to admit 
that doesn't stand. Mm -hmm. That doesn't. Even the most brainwashed minions of this system who says, no, no, this is how capitalism is supposed to be. No, no, it's your own fault, you're poor. No, no, this one man owns everything. Yeah, he's just better than us and smarter and works harder and whatever. <laughs> but nobody would say that about just one man. <laughs> no. They they would probably not say it about 10 people. Mm -hmm. But if you, if you talk about 50,000 people, then they can start to make excuses. Yeah. So I think it's important because as soon as they read realize it's a handful of people if they realize that this is the name nature of the system that it gets smaller and smaller and smaller the ownership and the assets they own gets more and more and more eventually you have one man owning everything nobody will stand for that nobody not even the most hardcore fascist no. will stand for that and that's why i think it's important to wake people up with uh, that's the direction we're going in i agree with you Mm. I agree with you, uh, except for except maybe a clarification on capitalism, because this is not capitalism. It's got nothing to do with capitalism. No, it's corporatism. Yeah, but people call it that yeah, no. on the left. Cap cap capitalism is uh, is just a price mechanism system. Uh, it's you know bringing uh, yeah. limited resources uh, that is uh, labor and capital to the goods that the masses need. So you know, capitalism is a friend of the yeah. masses. It's a friend of the people, but. It's gotten a rotten name because it's uh, is being associated with the uh, with these uh, people and with the criminality. Yeah. 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 So uh, so people are confused about what capitalism really is, and and that is uh, that is what they want us. <laughs> yeah. Believe. Yeah. No, but it's true. Every country in the world today have elements of capitalism as well as elements of socialism. There's no pure socialist or pure capitalist system but what we are suffering under today globally in almost every country is corporatism where it's kind of the same as italian fascism back in the day only the difference is uh, the fascists were controlling the corporations today the corporations are controlling the state otherwise it's the same uh, rigged marriage and uh, no. uh Every ism will suffer under it, including default capitalism and default socialism and whatever other ism you, you can conceive of. I know libertarians are very fond of saying if we just tried capitalism, <laughs> we could see if it works. Well, it, it really has never been tried, so... Yeah. Yeah, but, and you can also say that about most isms anyway. Uh, I, I don't think they, they say like, oh, this won't work, this that won't work. Everything works. Mm -hmm. It's just a question of which system, which values do you have? Which system do you want to implement? And they will have different consequences on plus and minus. But the, the, it, it, there's no system that doesn't work. If there's any system that doesn't work... The closest you get is the current system we're living under now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that really doesn't work. No, it doesn't. And it's collapsing. Yeah. And uh, in my opinion, the system we have now was conceived in 1848 when uh, Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels wrote uh, the Communist Manifesto. And that was the start of it. And that's what we're seeing today in the European Union. It's just a continuation of the... Uh, you know, the world revolution that uh, Marx uh, en en envisioned for mankind. Yeah, but Marx envisioned, uh, when he uh, wrote um, Das Kapital first, it was just a neutral criticism 
of how uh, the um, trade uh, or, or, or capital system works. Yeah. That was before they launched any suggestions for solutions. But if you'd go to the suggestions for solutions, like the, let's say the Communist Manifesto, or other spin-offs of that, like the, uh, you know Leninism, which is a Ru- the Russian version of of uh, the communism, you see that there goal is to liberate the masses. I'm not saying that's the result. I'm saying that's the idea. But if you look at what's going on today in the economic international system, that's not what's going on. They're not trying to make... It's not just that they are incompetent and failing. No, no. They're trying to rig it so that the masses will be enslaved. Mm. So uh, I don't agree that uh, their ultimate philosophy would be uh, communism. I don't see how that would work, Even not even corrupt communism. In fact, I think, if anything, I think what they fear the most is totalitarian state-based systems, whether it's Nazism or communism or whatever, because if the state gets too strong, like we we talked about before uh, the interview, if the state is too strong, that's the only thing that could make them accountable. And so that's why they need to control the nation states. I don't see uh, they have no interest in democratic nation states. That's a threat to them. Mm. And uh, I think that's what's going on too, that they're trying to erodate the power, people's power of the nation states. Comment? Well, uh this is purely my own subjective opinion, of course. Sure, sure, sure. And that is that uh, Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels, Karl Marx, by the way, was financed by Rothschild. Uh, and, uh, and Engels was a factory director. Yeah. And uh, no, I, 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 think, uh, I think the left today, the left today, as it was back in 1848, are being used by the by the by the banksters and the people controlling the banking system mm. uh, as a tool or as a pawn in order to uh, have their way, in order to make this uh, sort of like a grand, uh, grand uh, new world order or uh, globalism or whatever you want to cor- call it, corporatism. Mm. But I think that uh, the left uh, so-called liberals in the States like Kamala Harris and and uh, perhaps Joe Biden, I don't know uh, where he falls in. Oh yeah, he he's a neoliberalist from beginning. I think uh, I I think Biden will go anywhere where the money leads him. Yeah. But uh, uh, you know, Kamala Harris and uh, this uh, Cortez and uh, you know Black Lives Matter and all of this, who are funded by the Soros Institution, by the way. I, I think there are tools in the toolkit of the rich people of, of the world who controls the money system. And I think they're being used because socialism and communism and, uh, and these isms is an easy way to, uh, to try to get your will when it comes to power. Mm. So I, I believe the left is being abused or misused or whatever. For the purpose, of, hijacked. Hijacked is the word. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah, they're being hijacked, mm. and and they don't realize it, and they don't realize the most important thing for them is that if this if this turns out to be a success for the money elite, they will have no more use for the left yeah. leftists. They will have no more use for the liberals, and they'll be the first that they'll take care of. You know. Yeah. Uh, I agree with the whole analysis, except I don't really regard the examples you gave as left leftists. If anything, the fake leftists. It's like 
Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, Clintons, all that stuff. They are neoliberal corporatists. Yeah. Uh, and in America, it's really one party. Uh, that one party has their people in the DNC and in the RNC. In the same way, the mainstream Republican politicians are, are also corporatists and uh, uh, none of them are like traditional conservative None of them are traditional socialists or traditional conservatives. In Norway, we have a traditional conservative. We look, he reminds me of, uh, of Ron Paul, mm. but our prime minister, Anna Solberg, she's just like, uh, any mainstream DNC or RNC, um, representative. They're just neoliberal, uh, corporatists. And well, maybe it, you could call them centrist. Yeah. I, I look at the real right and the real left as those based in populism. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the populist right and the populist left, they have lots in common. And one of them is being aware of the elite and how the elite is hijacking the duopoly. Mm. Uh, of American politics. That's just my five cents to try to harmonize our paradigms here because I don't completely agree with the terminology you're using here. No, maybe I'm being a bit too loose. I agree with you. Yeah. But uh, as far as Erna Solberg is concerned, I'm pretty sure that you could uh, you could throw up an analysis and the analysis would uh, conclude that she's been hijacked uh, as well. Yeah, do you think she's aware of it? I mean, to what degree is she aware of her own corruption? We're talking about the Prime Minister of Norway, by the way. Yeah, it's, it's difficult to say, but why would uh, why would uh, seven uh, seven billion seven billion uh, you know in money terms earmarked for the European Union as Norway Norway's fee to the European Union for you know having access to the to the market? Mm. Why would uh, Arno Solberg insist on twice, both in terms of uh, giving it to the, to Poland and to, I think it was uh, Hungary, mm -hmm. in 2017 and then again in 2000. Why would she insist that that money not go to the purpose that the Polish and the Hungarian government wanted that money to go? Why would she insist that the money be given to a Soros-controlled institution? Why would she do mm -hmm. that? Mm -hmm. There's something fishy about that, in my opinion. Mm. Uh, and then again, uh, if you talk about what happened with the Clinton Foundation, right, yeah, right, yeah. Be right before Birgit Brende stepped down as uh, minister, uh, I guess, foreign minister of Norway, uh, he made sure to give uh, a few hundred million kroners to the Clinton Foundation. And in my opinion, he was rewarded a directorship at the World Economic Forum. Yeah. So what happens later in 2017 was that Brende... And Arna Solberg, our prime minister, they got together with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and they established CEPI, which is located in Oslo and which is at the head uh, of this uh, uh, efforts to uh, find a vaccination for this so-called pandemic that we have. Mm. And, you know, if you something to say, if, if, if you want to see how bad this is, you got to follow the money. Yeah, and if you if you want to find out if Anna Solberg is hijacked and how corrupt she is, you have to follow the money. Mm. And if you follow the money, well, it gives you the conclusion, doesn't it? Yep, and uh, I totally agree. And this is if you want to know how corrupt it is, you have to get. You, I'm talking to the listeners now. You have to get your ass down from the partisan tribal hack uh, mentality because that's created to keep you 
an, an internal person because as long as they can play the left against the right, they can continue. Just to explain how rotten this is, the government we have here is so-called conservative. It's not the social democrats. They would do exactly the same, of course. But this is a conservative government and they are paying uh, the Clintons, they are paying the Bill and Linda Gates Foundation, they're paying yeah. the... Uh, the the game, the banksters game, the corporations. So they are in both parties and uh, the way to understand, to liberate ourselves is to, in my view, to get rid of the old paradigm of left-right. We should really look at centralism versus freedom mm. or uh, autonomy on the one hand and this centralism on the other hand. If you as soon as you put on those glasses, you can see clearly. You can see clearly what's going on. You can see which voices all over the political specter that you can trust mm-hmm. and which voices you cannot. And sometimes, just sometimes, the divide and rule tactic fails and people coalesce mm-hmm. uh, despite wings, like against the wars, because everybody understands Nobody earns on the wars, so the left and the right find common ground. They can do it with the banksters, defending our civil rights and freedoms. They can do it on many areas, but then you you have to not be hypnotized by the left-right thing. And that's why we have elections like Clinton versus Trump or Biden versus Trump, because as long as we have to choose the so-called lesser of two evils, we're trapped in a system of two evils. <laughs> and the real truth is those evils nobody's lesser. They are exactly the same and they'll just get worse for every election. So I'm I'm kind of glad our country still has more than two options uh, in terms of parties. Well, you know, I I stopped uh, voting years ago because uh, we have an indirect democracy, constitutional democracy in Norway, which means that we we vote for the people that uh, rule us is essentially what it means. Yeah. We vote for the people who vote. <laughs> and, you know, what's what's uh, what's so great about the majority rule? I, I fail to see it. Right. And be, besides that, if you take uh, the number of uh, eligible voters in Norway, which is a small country, and you divide your vote into that, you see what kind of influence you, you really have. So, uh, it's true. It's you true. know, I don't know. No, no, but uh, of course, parliamentarism is not a solution for anything. In fact, you influence the world more through other types of uh, actions and activities uh, or activism. For example, money. Money is what's really making the world go round. So people power is visible when, for example, they crowdsource something that the system is not interested in. Mm-hmm. But it's being paid from the bottom up. So there are ways here. Mm-hmm. But there is another concept I want your view on. And I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with what's called a black economy. Well, a black economy in the, in the sense that it's, uh, it's, uh, used for Ill- illegal, um, kind of trading. But yeah, but not your housewife who hires an au pair or, you know, like a typical Norwegian get a Polish painter or something, not that kind of black economy. I'm talking about uh, on the top of the system. Okay. Uh, like there is, uh, we've had, um, you know, uh, under Bush one, mm-hmm. um, there was, he had a housing commissioner and she also became 
minister, no, uh, secretary of housing called uh, Catherine Fitz, Catherine Austin Fitz. Now, yeah. I've had her on for this and a couple of others. And she blew the whistle already back then. I mean, she was, you know, the housing bubble, all that stuff. She was a part of that process before it happened. And like one of the problems with analysis of modern economics is that they are not accounting for the black economy. So there is this notion that there is, I think actually now the black economy is bigger than the white. Yes, it involves CIAs, drug uh, things, illegal weapon, you know, monetary weapon industry, all that. But the biggest element in the black economy is that there is, it's like a hole in the white economy where lots of money is being flushed out. And that's a fact, but then you can discuss what is it being used for? Many people think it's just to enrich themselves, but it's beyond what they can spend. They can't spend this money on anything normal, like a yacht or whatever. So the idea here is that it's financing what's called a classified space program. Okay. Now, the classified space program, of course, goes back uh, probably to the end of the Second World War, but it got boosted under Reagan you know, the SDI. And now Trump has kind of tried to whitewash it by introducing the Space Force. But the idea is that they've had and always have lots of advanced technology in the military area. And what we let know is when it's old, like they say they, let's say they launch a new airplane. Well, that's after it's been around for 20 years or something. So we're always behind on the innovations. So the idea here, they have this uh, classified space program that they've been pumping money into. And like, that's the only thing that can explain the whole black economy. Now, let's say for the sake of argument, something like that was going on. Can you make that fit your current economic paradigm? Does that explain a couple of things? Well... <clears throat> there was a professor, I forget at which university he's at, but about a year and a half or two years ago, that actually went out and blew the whistle on 21 trillion US dollars that had uh, disappeared from uh, through the... That's right. Hang on. This man is Dr. Mark Skidmore, and he yeah. he got... Yeah, that's he, the, the reason he was involved is because he wanted to disprove Catherine Fitz's claim and her... Uh, it's not just claims. She's been working with this, researching this for... 30 years now so he went into it to disprove her he got shocked mm-hmm. and ended up being her best backup so yeah but now the no. n- the real number is up to 50 trillion that's the latest number okay. of missing money or, or not just missing money but missing on both sides of the equation plus and minus so it's like missing accounting basically yeah no it's uh, the numbers are huge and uh and they're real, and it makes you wonder uh, what has become of a democracy and the rule of law. Mm. <laughs> because uh, you wouldn't, uh, you know, no democ- real democratic system or, is, or a people's government would allow that to happen and, you know, just let it slide, so to speak. So 
but this is the situation we're in. Mm. I mean, people are either afraid to talk out or they're too apathetic to do anything about it. Mm. And I, I don't know what happened to this. Um, what was his name again? Um, the guy who Skidmore. Skidmore. I don't know what happened to his report because he was supposed to publish uh, his final his final report like at least a year ago, and I, I've heard nothing about it. So I wonder whether. He's been silenced or they... No, I don't think he's silenced. The latest I heard is that they, uh, what happened was that they first published something, then they had all the references was taken down because they were referencing to uh, government websites, right? The, all those were taken down, mm-hmm. like uh, we're cleaning up or something. And then they went out with that and then it came back up. But the, the thing is, they had already taken hard copies. So they had their own backup servers <coughs> yeah. because they knew that would happen. So I think it's out there. You could Google missing money or I think I sent you a link to the show with her where I put in links to their work. Yeah. So I think it's out there, but it's not getting any press. It's not getting any traction. I think the only, the last thing that happened was that somehow uh, Ocasio-Cortez came over this. Mm-hmm. And of course, being a lefty, she's, uh, she wanted to argue that, look, they're taking 50 trillions in their own pockets instead of using it for, you know, healthcare, whatever we want, right? Mm-hmm. And then she got a huge backlash because of the uh, excuse story. The excuse story is that it's a fun, uh, it's an accounting error. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, RT and a news outlet I love have a guy called, um, um, oh, what's his name again? Um, A young comedian who has a very good show there. And he, he's been on this case all the time. I know the guy with the long black hair, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What's his name again? Do you remember? I, I I forget, but he's pretty funny, but he's also pretty serious. <laughs> oh yeah, great man. Oh Lee Camp, oh. Lee Camp. Yeah, but you know, the, the, your question was if that fits in with the, yeah. The, well, if you can if you can create currency uh, credit by typing ten or fifteen digits into computer. Who's to stop you from creating twenty-one trillion dollars or fifty trillion dollars for a space program if that's what they're doing? Mm. No one, no one can stop that. It's, uh, but couldn't it explain why they are sticking to fiat? Because if they were sticking to gold, they couldn't get away with it. It would be traceable, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, gold keeps politicians honest and uh, the political system honest, right? And f- and fiat does not. With fiat, you have all kinds of possibilities of, you know, dodging the system, uh, creating credit uh, all over the world Mm. and uh, keeping it hidden from the public as well, if that's what you want to do. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good point. So uh, that's an incentive for them to keep the fiat system. And it's also, that's why I'm also talking about connecting money to resources, because it seems to me, if everything is like you've explained it, then... On the one hand, they're printing as crazy. On the other hand, they are slushing mm-hmm. 50 trillions into this venture. And that means that really what they're doing is they're devaluating the value of the white resources. That means your production, my production, what we're doing here is getting less worth. They're like skimming. They're like vampires sucking resources out and putting it into this black project. Yeah. Via the fiat system. Is that a correct analysis? Yeah. Or understanding? It's accurate enough. Mm. 
and of course you have uh, with the fiat system you also have uh, you're watering out the uh, the value of the of the money system or the currency system and you're creating inflation so that the dollar bill you put into the uh, your account today is worth $94 next year because let's face it inflation is not 1 or 2% not in Norway not in the United States they faked those equations about inflation a long time ago if you go to shadow stats or any of these other bureaus that do it properly you will find out that the inflation rate is in Norway is more like 10% mm. so yeah yeah but uh, they say like one of the guys i had on he said that uh, you only get inf- inflation if you spend the resources in addition which they're not you, we're not consuming as much resources as we are printing money mm. so in other words instead of uh, in a locked gold back system, yeah, inflation immediately. But with a fiat system, they can just spend and spend and spend, and then the inflation will be determined of, of how much they are. This spending is signalizing a consumption of mm. pr- resources. If it's just money on the top of the system, hedge funds and stocks and all that stuff, it won't reach. The, real, the ground it won't reach the real economy you're, yeah. you're precisely right and you have to make a very important distinction inflation is an expansion of the money supply mm-hmm. okay and it can only be done by the central bank now what we are talking about here is price inflation and price inflation is the result of money uh, inflation and the the the, uh, the inflation of the money supply mm. So you have to make that distinction. And uh, the one is the result of the other. Price inflation comes from inflating the money supply. Mm. So uh, that's what they're doing. And of course, the money supply being expanded and the credit uh, issued by the banks as an extension of the money supply growing, it's when that credit comes into the real economy that you see price inflation. Mm. That's when price inflation takes hold. But if they slush lots of, like 50 trillion into a black project, wouldn't that kind of prevent the inflation or, or, or at least slow it a little down? Well, what was it you called it? You called it the black? A black project like classified space program. Uh, well, like off the books. It's not a part of the white economy. No, just- so on the one hand, they are printing a lot of money. On the other hand, they are funneling it into a black project well if you are in charge of uh, the money printing system there's no there's nothing stopping you from uh, having a sort of off balance sheet if you will exactly. uh, system beside the ordinary system and just funneling that money into into a, a black project if you will or any other project if it's a space project or whatever it is you you you, you can do that mm. you don't have to tell anybody about it because what are you really doing you're just typing some numbers into computer screen yeah but i mean wouldn't that kind of slow down uh, i mean we would notice it from uh, inflation so wouldn't that kind of slow down inflation and make the scheme uh, prolonged not necessarily because it's a it's a it's a dedicated program it goes into one project and the project is hidden from the public right yeah so not necessarily okay i don't understand why why is that not necessarily well i have because uh, here's how i view it money in printing press money out black project Mm -hmm. so they're kind of using the white economy to whitewash 
mm-hmm. of, of finance. So I'm thinking that's a way to prevent the worst. Um, I'm not saying it's a good thing, <laughs> but it prevents the worst. It would be better if the inflation was obvious so people would uh, rise up, right? Mm-hmm. But that's a way to cover it up, isn't it? That's how I understand it. But I'm not an expert. I need people like you to explain it to me. Well, in that particular instance with the 21 trillion or the 50 trillion, uh, I don't really have a better explanation than our discussion now. Hmm. And I haven't seen what uh, what's her name, Catherine Fitz. Fitz. Yeah. yeah. I, I know that she has uh, been given a lot of uh, trouble for uh, having exposed the system. Uh, she's been fighting in court, I know. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, she makes your case look like a cakewalk. Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure that's correct. But I haven't followed it closely enough, and I don't know enough about it to be absolutely adamant on, on what's going on here. No, but it's it's not even, it's just the principle of it. I'm just saying if you not just print a lot of money, but you also have an outlet for that money. I'm just trying to understand, wouldn't that prevent inflation? In my thinking, it would, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you could explain why it wouldn't prevent inflation. Well, in order for an expansion of the money supply to create inflation, you would have to somehow uh, bring that money into the real economy. Right. So if, if, for example, the Federal Reserve, what they're doing now is, is they're saying, we're injecting $3.5 trillion into the economy in order to save, uh, save the economy from collapse. What they're doing is, is more psychological than anything else because the fact that they're saying that they're uh, printing uh, uh, or really typing a number into a computer uh, doesn't mean that that money automatically is coming out into the real economy. Exactly. It sits with the Federal Reserve. Right. And a lot of the money that they have so-called printed both back in 2008 and now is not has not been diverted or or, or sent out into the real economy. It's just used to pay off debts or to get rid of toxic yeah, assets? Yeah. Yes, they, they take over toxic assets, but uh, a lot of this money never uh, doesn't get out into the real economy. It's not, it's, it's not being used. It's more the psychological factor that uh, the Federal Reserve is saying, we're taking care of all this, don't worry. Mm. And uh, if they say, the, the more they say they print, uh, apparently, the more relaxed uh, the politicians and uh, and the public becomes. But it doesn't mean that that money that they print or write in on a computer screen immediately goes out into the real economy. Right. It sits at the Federal Reserve in some computer. Yeah. Okay. And then when it does trickle into the economy, it tends to trickle out to the people who uh, who 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 uh, you know who that doesn't need it most. It trickles out into what we call Wall Street. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, well, by the same token then, if they print uh, because of the fiat system, if they can funnel 50 trillion into a black project, that should kind of help the white economy go on without collapsing. Maybe that's why they've been able to uh, go for so long now uh, without collapsing yet, although... 2008 and 2020 are collapses to be sure but like i'm saying maybe that's part of the reason of why they've managed to extend this fiat system for so long no no the main reason why they've been able to extend uh, the fiat system and uh, and avoiding a collapse is because 
they have uh, they have reduced the interest rates by you know printing money they've re reduced the demand for money down to bare minimum so that the interest rate is zero or even negative that's the only way they can maintain it not for consumers they ain't hmm? not for us consumers we have high interest rates right whose interest rates are you talking about well, I'm talking, first of all, I'm talking about the interest rate that the Federal Reserve sets for, uh, you know, for the banks to lend in between themselves. Oh. And then, and then, of course, the in, that has an effect on the interest rate that uh, people pay on their mortgage. I mean, it's, it's a big difference right. for you and I if we pay 7% to the, the Norwegian bank on our house in, uh, as opposed to paying uh, 1.5% or That's 2 right. That's right. Yeah. I see. Okay. So we're going to take a break now and we're going to come back in part two with your story okay. and also look at potential solutions. Yep. So we'll take a break now. Oh, oh, one more thing before the break. Could you go into the sabotage business of finance article? Or actually, you know what? I'll be fair. You can do it in part two because <laughs> you, have, you make some interesting remarks at the end. First, you analyze the problem and you agree with the author. Yes. But then you suggest kind of the opposite of what the author suggests. So that I want to ask you about. He, he suggests more regulations. You suggest less regulations. I'll give you a chance to explain why that's a solution when we come back in part two. Okay? Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of our files are free and will remain free. If you like the show, you can show support by donating $1 to help with expenses. Just use the PayPal link on our website, YouTube channel, or Facebook page. Thanks. Thanks. 